Hi, girl. Podcast segments pulled and edited by Nesworks. Now that sounded good. It's not bad. It's not bad for a high school boy. You think I came here dressed like this for a friendly get together? Yeah, you. Oh, yeah. And it's all night. It's all right. <laughs> Yoo-hoo, baby. And I'm like, what? I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. Okay, kids. You're in for a real treat today. Hey, mister, what you listening to? The record button just went on the roadcaster, so we are live. I'm seeing that great red dot. So I think it's time to kick things off, and I think you know how we kick things off at the Eastside Annex. I rock the party that rocks your body. I rock the party that rocks your body. Let's go. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. To the tick-tock, you don't stop. To the tick-tick, and you don't quit. Hit it! Episode number three with Brian Arrington, a.k.a. Babu. Was it only fitting that we kicked it off with Sudden Change? Only fitting, my man. Only fitting. Got me bobbing my head over here. So I think that we actually have to term this episode the Tales of the East Side. So getting into this, Babu, tell me the origins of the name Babu. I met my uh, good friend Greg uh, 
at Edmonds High School. And for whatever reason, he goes, you ever watch Yogi Berra? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, <laughs> no. And he goes, you're Babu. <laughs> Something along the lines of Yapple Dapple. And I'm like, okay. And it just stuck. It stuck for good. How old am I now? Um, it stuck for over almost 40 years. People to this day still call me Babu. Oh, man. I'm just thinking about how long that I've known you is what, going on 27 years. And that's the first time that I knew the origin of Babu. I think the uh, <laughs> listeners out there are going to want to know that fact. So we got comms up, Sailor. Comms up. Okay, so... Comms are up. Lima Charlie. <laughs> musical influences growing in North Seattle, Shoreline District, right? Uh, Edmonds, Linwood. I was born in Bellevue, grew up in Kirkland, and then in my um, junior high days, I moved to the Edmonds, Linwood area. And what do you recall from your early musical influences in Seattle, family, friends, classmates? The first thing I remember was my dad had this powerful voice in church. I mean, he, that dude could sing. And then when I would come home from school, my mom was always playing the piano. Always playing the piano. And then, um, <laughs> I hope my older sister doesn't hear this, but when my older sister, um, the one that lives in England now, when she was growing up, she was obsessed with the Beatles. And every time you go into, every time I went into her room, there was Beatles crap everywhere. I mean, everything. So it, there was something about music in my family that it, it was always around. It was always around. Is that the first music that you remember hearing was the Beatles? No. The... Well, the first music I remember was in church. Sure. Oh, oh, um, no, because my mom had a poster of, oh, who's the um, rhinestone cowboy guy? Um, <laughs> Glenn, Campbell. Glenn Campbell? Glenn Campbell. Because <laughs> I'm a rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that was my first memory of, of music overall. And then it just it just hasn't stopped since. And then moving into the classic Nest Pod segment of what was the first music that you bought? Can't wait to hear this one. The first one I bought with my own money, I believe it was Disco Duck. Dude, I can't believe I just admitted that. <laughs> but yeah. And how did yes, you purchase Disco it. Duck? What was that mail order thing? Uh way back in the late 70s um yeah terry terry and i talked about that the columbia record house or there was actually there was like also that, yeah. compilation albums that you could get like star power or something like that was it a <laughs> was it a ktel <laughs> yeah, record I, I think it was ktel yes <laughs> all right well let's Good fire memory, off man. into disco duck <laughs> to bring back your childhood oh memories God. let's fire it off all right let's do it <laughs> mm-hmm Right. 
moving my feet to the disco beat. How in the world could I keep my seat? I think it should have been called Disco Naughty Duck. How did that thing even get released? Hey, Mama. Hey, Mama, shake your tail feather now. So that was, you know, for the people that have never heard that song, that was Rick Dees and radio DJ, famous, you know, nationwide radio DJ that put that song out and it became a phenomenon. It became a hit. And there, and how old were you when you bought that? I'm guessing eight or nine. And... Well, were there was there some dancing in the bedroom going on? Uh, probably, probably not very good dancing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if we can top that. I don't. We might just have to shut this podcast down right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what more can you go want to know? <laughs> Disco <laughs> duck. Well, we're days. we're heading into some tales, my friend. So, and the, and then the other <laughs> thing too, um, just you know, knowing your family history, that you do have a twin sister, Wendy. So, what did Wendy think mm-hmm. about the disco duck? I don't I, honestly. I don't remember. She bought. Oh, I don't. Re- she bought something, but I don't remember what she got. And we'll talk about her. Uh, her her influence, or more like brainwashing me uh, later on. But I don't remember what she her reaction to it was. Okay, so that I mean that's a good segue, just going into the direction. So. You know, then as you started getting older and, you know, you kind of have the Seattle thing happening and we can touch on that. And then like like you mentioned, you had a twin sister. Did you guys start to hang out with peer group and were you going to teen clubs? Had you, you know, were you doing any of that or were you still a little bit young for that? Still a little bit young. Um, when I moved to the Edmonds Linwood area, I became really good friends with Brett and Brett had two older brothers, Devin and Brian. And they were very much into the rock and roll scene. Um, Van Halen too was around that time. Death Leopard, uh, Pyromania, uh, Iron Maiden. So I was really into that, you know, cause that's what I was listening to. And plus that same older sister from with the Beatles, by the way, her name's Dee Dee. She listened to rock as well, uh, rock and roll. So that's primarily what I was listening to. My other two sisters, Wendy and Melissa, were listening to more of the R&B type stuff. But since I wasn't hanging out with them, I wasn't uh, listening to that. Yeah, so then as you started to get older, and then you know you kind of had Melissa and Wendy, and then they were listening to R&B, and then... As you gravitated to your first, was your first job the McDonald's downtown across from the Space Needle? 
It was the one in Linwood. It's uh, it was McDonald's, but it was the one in Linwood, right off of one ninety six. So, did the musical influence just kind of start to change because there's a little bit more diversity there? You're going around a different people, different ages, different musical tastes. No, actually, because Dee Dee w- is um, a lot older than Wendy and I, so she moved when she fit- finished up. Uh, college she moved down to Oregon so I wasn't listening to music with her anymore and when um, whenever we went to the store and this was late 82 early 1983 Michael Jackson's Thriller came out Mm. and oh my god dude that I was brainwashed Um, that I, I had no say in the matter if we were all driving to I don't know, the store or the mall or something. That's all we listen to. Hey, can we put on KZ okay? No. <laughs> I mean, no. You know, the, the Michael Jackson Thriller album was so popular. It was everywhere. Game changer. I meant total yeah. game changer. And then, you know, and speaking of the Michael Jackson thing, you know, that's right when the evolution of MTV was happening and he got on that, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the Beat It video mm-hmm. and Billie Jean. And there, there there was some controversy with that. But man, once that album hit and the Quincy Jones production, it was, like you mentioned, it was, that's all you'd listen to. It was a game changer. Yeah, and that's all that played. I'm guessing in part because he was so popular. And two, Quincy Jones is from Seattle. There you go. Making the connection. I'm a connection guy. What about other Seattle, uh, like, Kate, you know, me and Mark touched on, you know, K Fox Radio, Chris, uh, you know, KUBE. We can get into that as well, but um, um, <laughs> they they well, weren't on that path yet, right? Well, that was that was towards the middle school days, and then when I got to uh, high school, Edmonds High School. <laughs> that's how old I am. It was just <laughs> Edmonds High School then. Um, I met. That's when I met Greg. Greg was in one of Wendy's classes, and after one of the periods, Wendy came up to me with Greg and goes, hey, I want you to meet this guy. This is my brother, Brian. This is Greg. He, Greg, too, went to the uh, Jesse Johnson concert. Mm. And I'm like, what? Well, because Jesse Johnson had played at the Puyallup Fair, and... I believe the song was "Can You Help Me" was the, was the most popular one, but that uh, that uh, I love that music. And then they came from Jesse came from Morris Day in the time, you know, the Jesse. Now Jerome, yes. Oh yeah, that story right there. Of the for the for the people that are listening that are out of state of Washington, the Puyallup Fair is the big summer fair. Uh, Jesse Johnson, former member of the time, played a live concert there. I was there, dude. I was there with you.
Here's another kind of a weird fact is that I had gone and seen Morris Day in the time in the Tacoma Dome. Um, Shut up. So I was there too. (laughs) Birds of a feather flock together. Yeah, it was. And Andre Simone, the former bass player of Prince, had played at that concert. And as I recall, that was a really good concert. I knew of Jesse Johnson, obviously. I went to the concert, but he's the one who introduced me to that Minnesota print funk uh, and everybody that came out of that uh, that area. Um, my mom bought me the 1999 dual cassette tape, and <laughs> th- after that, it was it was on, it was on. So th- yeah, that's that's the main reason why I. I was into that whole um, R&B, especially the Minnesota funk scene. And then I don't know how Wendy met or started talking, but there used to be a DJ or excuse me, radio personality <laughs> at KFOX. And his name was Derek Till Dawn. I don't know what his real name was, but it was Derek Till Dawn. Well, Wendy started calling, got his like the direct line number somehow and I remember specifically saying, hey, she asked me, what song do you want to hear on K-Fox? And I don't remember the song. It was probably <laughs> something from that area. So she made a phone call, and sure enough, 15 minutes later, that song was on the radio. <laughs> Free World by Jesse so, Johnson. Then, He's going deep on the B-side 12-inch. Yeah, yeah so, then, um, you know, just just really quick, uh you know, as you were telling that story earlier and you mentioned Greg and Greg's a really long time friend of yours that, you know, since, mm-hmm. like you said, since you met him in high school and you've been friends and joined the Navy and the service and, you know, spent a lot of time. So you had that influence and then Wendy getting into K-Fox. And then because, you know, you talked about the Minneapolis connection and Prince and we were talking about Michael Jackson, you know, the Purple Rain area. And before that, you know, the 1999 album, I meant just once again, total game changer when it comes to changing the scene of music. And, you know, in Seattle, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of that going on at that point in time. That's that's even previous to, you know, Sir Mix-A-Lot and anything actually happening. The only thing right. that we had in Seattle was, you know, some underground clubs that were going on. That was about it, which we will get to that in the tales of the East Side. <laughs> right. When, when Wendy was talking, she met a good friend named Katina, and they went to one of the K Fox dances down at the Seattle center. And one of the times, one of the other dances, I didn't go to the first one, but I went to the second one and saved my money from my McDonald's job and got, (laughs) got my, uh, got my clothes looking, you know, looking all fly and everything. (laughs) And I went down there and I was like, man, this is awesome. 
look at all these beautiful women, listen to this music. I, I loved it, absolutely loved it. And then I was still working at Mickey D's and I got the opportunity to, uh, one of the managers transferred to downtown, uh, Seattle Center. And he's like, um, can I borrow you for, I don't know, I think it was a year or so. And I'm like, sure, no problem. Well, right behind that was Scoochie's. Mm. And I'm like, I'm never, I'm never leaving this McDonald's job ever again. And, you know, cause get done Friday night, hop right on over. It'll smelling like chicken McNuggets and French fries. <laughs> Could you give a description of Scoochie's? Cause I can tell you what I vaguely remember. Just the video screens, you'd walk in, it was when the MTV thing hit, and you would see these huge screens and Madonna projections going on, and whatever was happening on MTV you were seeing. And didn't Scoochies have a roller rink in it Then after that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta love that. Yes, 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 yes. Um, It was just a bunch of happy people in there, you know, it's... I'm sure some of them were influenced by whatever thing that was in their system, but they were just happy. The music was good. Um, there wasn't many fights or arguments or there wasn't towards the end. There was a big, there was more police presence, but early on there, it was just people having a good time, laughing, dancing. Yeah. Yeah. It eventually turned into a club called DVA. That was, that was probably right around the the east side time a little bit before that but it was that I don't know how that happened but it was the owner of celebrity where you know it, in episode number 2 me and Mark touched on Mike Joyce and Mike Joyce had a residency down at Celebrity and then the owner of Celebrity right. actually purchased I don't know if he purchased or whatever he did with the building but then he opened up that teen club DVA did you ever go into DVA I did not go into DVA, but I did go into Club Broadway before it closed. Nice. And man, that was the, that was the best music. Celebrities was good, but it was just a different crowd. And um, the music at Club Broadway, I think that's the first time I heard Sir Mix-a-Lot. Do you, uh, when we, when yeah, me and Mark was... touched on the DJ booth, do you remember the jukebox, what it looked like when you were standing on the floor looking up at it? No, I don't. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had a built-in jukebox, and and at the the DJ was, you know, he had a little cocoon, a bird's nest in there, and he could look out onto the floor. It was pretty. It was one of the coolest DJ booths I've ever seen. Number one, thank God no, it's Friday. Bobby Speed starring Donna Summer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so going back, my man, going back. Hey, the podcast, the Nest Pod, going back in time. So now we're going to move into, you know, just an evolution. As a young man, you started working at UPS, right? So you, you know, graduated and and so you got a job at UPS. And so we're going to, we're going to wean our way into the tales of the East Side. How did you meet the club owner of the East Side Annex, the infamous Kelly Farnsworth? (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, I started working at UPS in June of 89, and he started sometime, I want to say 91-ish, late 90, 91. Anyway, at the time, I was a part-time supervisor of the uh, 
started off with the uh, sort, and but then moved to the uh, unload. Well, Kelly got a part-time job, and I'm talking to him, and he, I go, so what do you got going on this weekend? And he says, well, I'm going to be at my club. <laughs> what? I'm going to be at my club. I own a teen club right, right less than two miles away from here. I'm like, no kidding. And he goes, yeah, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I ain't got, I got to work at Mickey D's, but I still, I still had two jobs to pay bills. Um, and he goes, if you're free some weekend, come check it out. And I said, all right. So, you know, it, it wasn't that weekend, but eventually I showed up on, I didn't show up on a Friday night. I showed up on a Saturday night and it was half packed. And the DJ was, apparently he, he was a personality at, on KUBE. And I'm like, all right, this is kind of cool. All right. Well, I started coming back, and finally he said, hey, uh, I could use your help if you wanted to help out for a little bit. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> All right. And that's how it started. For, what was what was your initial pay offer? <laughs> I think I volunteered for like the first six months to a year. <laughs> I mean, and not, not, no, it wasn't, and it wasn't me saying, hey, I will volunteer. This was him saying, hey, um, I can't pay you. <laughs> the reason why I'm chuckling to give some context to the story is because I know Kelly, and that's why we're just having fun fun ribbing each other about this. So going back to episode number two with Mark Cotto, and I talk about the you know my DJing history and playing in different clubs, and I played in a club in the University of Washington, the district down there that's located in Seattle, and... Kelly Farnsworth, the club, the club owners had hired Kelly to come in because he's like a showman and he does. I, is that how you would? He's kind of like an MC. I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain yeah, him. Yeah. And just a a real character. Yeah. Really, he's really good at what he would do. But he would roll dice for prizes and get on the mic yeah. and hype. He's kind of like a hype man, you know. And uh, so that's yeah. where I knew Kelly from because. And he also, I don't know if you remember this, but he had a spotlight that he was running. So. He he would take that spotlight to different clubs where he was at, and he would also rent that out. And he so he had all these different things going on. So by the time you got to the Eastside Annex and, you know, met him through UPS, and, you know, I, I was at that point in time playing at um, the Penthouse Lounge with Mark and the PPP crew there. So what were the first days when you started volunteering at the Eastside Annex. What were your days like there? <laughs> they were, I, they're not long. I, I think we got there maybe six. Well, yeah, I guess they were long. And because following cleanup and all of that and um, money, well, I, nobody counted the money but Kelly. <laughs> he, um, there was just a lot, the, the hours were long. I think we didn't leave there until 2, 2.30, you know, when you do that Friday and Saturday night, that's 16 hours of your day or two full work days, and you're not getting paid. But the the atmosphere there was, it wasn't, it, well, it was only, I would say, maybe 33% full, maybe 50 on some Saturdays. But not, there, there wasn't much hype about it. Nobody really knew about it. Um, it was your basic KUBE format. You know, that you can predict what the next song's going to be every five minutes or so. Sure. So it, it, it was just kind of, it was just kind of blah. So we, because, we, you know, we don't have to drag out that situation. So, so uh, things were coming to, 
you know, like I mentioned in episode two, uh, I started going a different direction. And at that point in time, I was going through some different things in my life. And I was decided, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to play anymore. And I got the phone call from Kelly like, oh, I, I really need some help out here. And can you come play? And, you know, I, I'm having some problems and we need to get the crowd going. And I wasn't really into it. And he's like, well, you know, I'm like, OK, well, first of all, how much am I going to get paid? Because, I'm, you know, at that point in time, I'm not thinking under a bill no you know he said well all I can pay (laughs) all I can pay you is 75 dollars and I said well I'll do it for a a little while just to get you out of a bind and then we'll figure out where we're going from there so so I show up at the east side annex never had been there and that's when I first met you but to give once again context to the story this was in like a rundown beaten down VHFW hall where they were holding yep. alcohol anonymous um, meetings before the club yep. opened. So, right. And, and the, the building was big. I mean, it had a nice layout and there was a two story, there was an elevated DJ booth. So, you know, I think the first night I came there, brought some records in and did my thing. I, you know, once going, going back to episode two, we talked about the formats. I kind of came in with a, you know, a little bit more underground format than radio, but adhering to what was happening in R&B and hip-hop at that time. And, you know, and Kelly had a history with me at City East, and he was like, oh, yeah, we'll just play all the, the hip-hops, and, you know, can you play Push It in Erotic City? And I really like when you mix me so horny into that. And you know, so. <laughs> Yeah, that that time frame, the, the reason how you guy came about is that he was TB and Kelly. He was fascinated by the song called slam by Onyx and <laughs> by fascinated. That was, that was the crushing point for Eddie, the radio personality is Eddie C. He explicitly told him, don't play that song. And to this day, I don't know why. <laughs> well, Eddie was like, you know what? I'm going to play it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was gone right after that. I, and it, I don't the, that the, I don't know what's wrong with that song, but maybe they played it too much on KUBE. Maybe they didn't play it enough. Maybe it was too rough for him, which it's not. But man, that that was his downfall, and we never saw Eddie C again. Yeah, you you know we'll segue into Slam by Onyx. So you know from a DJ standpoint, Slam it was just a real popular song. It was. You know, hit, it was hitting on the airwaves. It was considered top 40, you know, but a little bit more hard on the rap mm-hmm. thing, you know. And uh, I can remember when I first came in there and Kelly was, you know, he was so opposed to that. And, you know, it's one of those things where we weren't fighting about it, but I was just trying to have a professional, you know, conversation with him about why we would want to play it and why we would use it as a tool to build the crowd. But he was so against it, which is going to lead me into... The Slam by Onyx, which is going to have a special Purge remix. So let's get into that. <laughs> this is how Kelly felt about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual Purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of Class 4 and lower have been authorized for use during the Purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed. Commencing at the siren, any and all crime, including murder, 
will be legal for 12 continuous hours. Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. I can really say about that is that you got to picture a teen club because the East Side Annex was a teen club. So you had, and I think it was even younger, wasn't it like 15 to 18, something like that? And you just had a bunch of kids. I thought it was, at, it started off at 16 and under. Wow. I think it was, what parents can allow a 13 year old to go to a club? So it was probably predominantly that. Um, at the time, that's when the Crips and the Bloods in L.A. was really uh, big. The movie Colors had come out, and Kelly was, one of his rules was, you can't wear bandanas, and you can't wear red, and you can't wear blue. Yeah, reasonable, right? I mean, you know, it's just, it's just a teen club yeah. about dancing. and, and uh, but, but that's why I think that he really had an adverse, you know, view of slam because once it went on people were just going crazy on the floor because of the context of the song oh, yeah. and they were dancing and you know banging into each other and he would just look at it and but you know it was something that was really um you know hitting at that time and the kids they just wanted to hear it i just i never realized uh that that was the downfall of eddie c the former dj there yeah he and it very well could be that he just didn't want kids hurting themselves and um, him being liable very well. He never gave us a reason. It was, I just don't want that song being played. All yeah, right, I, I mean, it, <laughs> it it makes sense to me, you know, where he was at as a club owner. You know, you just, you can see. Um, mm -hmm. But but I think what he wasn't prepared for was what was happening in the format. You know, first first we'll get into the thing about when I came in and you were the manager there, you know, and you're like, oh, hey, what's going on, da-da-da-da, and, you know, I just, I'm up at the booth doing my thing. What was your first impression when I came in and, you know, I just started playing because was it a different sound to you or what What was the effect that was going through your head when, when I started playing there? Well, your format... If you could play, if you and Eddie C were playing the same songs, you were playing it differently. Um, you can talk more to this than I can, but for you, and I had been to Club Broadway, I had been to Celebrities, I had been to the KNHC and the K-Fox dances before, but with you, it was one song from start until you dimmed the lights and started playing the baby-making music. It was one song. You didn't miss a beat. And I was, I was 
like, how the hell is he doing this? <laughs> and you were playing different songs, but it was the same beats per minute, that talent that you have to keep those beats. I was like, what the hell is he doing up there? This is, I'm digging this stuff. No, get your own damn Snapple. And I wanted to listen to the music. It was, it was, it, I'm sure we'll bring up the Snapple. Well, I love the Snapple reference. Fun, but... I just, so that people understand is that you were in charge, you were the manager there. So you were in charge of selling the Snapple. So that's where that Snapple comment come through. But I was in charge of buying the Snapple before it, paying for the Snapple, replenishing the Snapple. <laughs> Kelly, God bless him, man. I'm telling you. Give but, me a give me a sample. Give me a sample phone call of what you might get on a Friday or Saturday night uh, prior to going into the East Side Annex from Kelly. Okay, so uh, so if we got there, what time did we get there? Around six, maybe eight. You got there a little bit earlier than I did because okay. I was yeah. Well, yeah, because I had to. He would call me. He and he's the type that he wouldn't give me any heads up. Um, obviously this was before cell phone, um, technology, but he would call me up literally when I'm leaving my house or my, where I lived, he's like, Hey, uh, I'm running a little behind. And, um, do you mind if you stop off and pick up some, uh, snapple for me for the club tonight? <laughs> I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> so you're asking the guy I'm leaving now, dude. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and he would always do this. It, it, it never failed. So it be, it became evident that, all right, I'm going to be getting the Snapple. So by then, I would just get it, you know, hours before or maybe a day or two before. Back then, I don't remember. I'm guessing I was getting four cases, maybe five, six cases. But, you know, when you're working two jobs to make ends meet, and he's asking me, and at the time I was 20, 21, 22 years old, and I didn't have any extra money, so how am I going to get this back? And <laughs> I had to remind him several times after the shift that, you know, hey, here's your receipt, man. Give me my money. Classic Kelly. He Somehow he forgot that he owed you for the Snapple at the end of the evening, even though he took yeah. in cash money at the door. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny when I hear that Snapple story, I also think of the time when I showed up there and I gave that description of the booth being elevated and there was, you know, uh, there's like a balcony that, you know, sh jutted out over the dance floor a little bit and you could look down on it. And I got there carrying up my records because in those days we carried our records, you know, and I looked, mm -hmm. I got into the booth and looked and, you know, it looked like, okay, did somebody break in here? Where are the turntables? And I looked down in the kitchen and the kitchen, uh, by the sink is t the two turntables. And I just, you know, I can't even remember who it was that I said it to, the great nicknames of the Eastside Annex, Bobby Joe, <laughs> Little E, you know, Brian, Babu. I'm like, hey, uh, why are the turntables in the sink? Because <laughs> I need to start playing in 15 minutes. <laughs> Did you ever get an honest answer of no. why they were in the sink? No. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Some things with Kelly Farnsworth you just can't explain, but that's why you said God love him. So, so yeah, yeah. so the the DJ thing of playing, you know, and we were, you know, just and we're just poking fun at Kelly, you know. We we obviously have a respect for what he does. It's just that sometimes he's kind of mm -hmm. he's a goofy guy to work with because he's all over the map. And um, but mm -hmm. the thing about the the DJ music and the structure and 
you know, we're talking about Push It and Erotic City and playing those songs is that those were always staples in the clubs, but they were moving more into um, a, a more low temp hip hop thing was starting to happen. And we'll get into the whole G-Funk era because that really came in strong. So I just put together a little snippet of Push It and Erotic <laughs> City. Um, so you can check out me just blending those two because that would be a good example of how to, you know, keep the beat going. And if you listen to episode number two, me and Mark Cotto go into, you know, the DJ theory of beats per minute, break beats, you know, sections of the songs that mm-hmm. you want to do and so forth. So let's get into it. Come on, girls, let's go show the guys that we know how to become number one in a hot body show. Now push it.
take you right back to the east side annex my man it did it did see other clubs were playing that but they weren't playing it like you that was one song right there you're able to mix that so that it's literally one song so you were doing things different than others and i think that's the biggest reason why the crowd started getting bigger and bigger and bigger along with you know your selection of music <laughs> yeah we'll get into that selection well thank you for that um kelly wanted me to just make a tape of that non-stop for like 35 minutes oh <laughs> <laughs> didn't he didn't he ask you you had a baseball or softball game <laughs> and you were going to be gone for a weekend <laughs> He asked you to make like a four-hour mixtape. Don't worry, Brian will run upstairs and switch out the tape decks when they end. <laughs> yeah, the funniest thing, we haven't gotten into the renegotiation tactic yet that, you know, I had to get to once the crowd was established. But I can remember we had to negotiate what the price was for me making these tapes because he wasn't going to pay me my full <laughs> amount, even though I had to, you know, put about the same amount of time, probably more at home making these tapes, you know. <laughs> but yeah, there, there, there well, was... There was one night when I did make tapes, and then uh, and then after that, you know, as you know, you you started getting into DJing, and there was another uh, DJ that you know was emerging DJ, Little E, who wanted to play, and um, Mark came in, and you know, Mark actually, we told that story in episode two, but he came in and covered a few times. Right. It was just better to have somebody live, you know, and that that mix right there is, you know, I did that on a DAW, you know, the slang word audio mm-hmm. pro audio. A digital audio workstation and when i was talking to mark on the phone recently just about oh yeah you know it's fun going through this music i'm putting some stuff for the east side annex and brian's coming on and it, it made me think how would i be playing today if i was still doing because of the technology and the tools you know how much time would i actually be spending on would i just have a day where all i did was just work on my own mixes and then just play them live at the club you know but it was a really good point that you mentioned about you know, having the tools and the different records that were available at that time that had the break beats and were structured for DJs, that's what I was doing there. And and having the knowledge of, you know, what's going to work for the crowd and then putting those records together to work seamlessly. And, you know, there's the, obviously the mixing thing when you're combining tempos and beats and kick patterns and, you know, harmonics, you can really get into it deep. But then it, like I mentioned in episode two, sometimes it doesn't matter how good a DJ you are. It's just what's on that turntable next. So having the knowledge, and even if you're just, I'm a big believer if hey, slam a song in. Just write on the one if it's going to be the song that you need to play. And uh, so that's kind of my right. story at the east side right there. Yeah, luckily, I don't remember you, quote unquote, slamming a song. I, I remember you teaching me when I was getting interested into it and we can talk about that in just a second but that you taught me how to slam just slam that um that knob over and a lot of people in other clubs relied on it and you didn't i don't think people understand that one how hard djing is and especially 
what how you were doing it, but you just don't show up to a booth with twenty records and play them back to back <laughs> to back to back. It, it it doesn't work that way. I mean, there's there's literally blood, sweat, and tears that go into it. Yeah, I, I, you know, no pun intended here, but I think the best example, just because we listened to that Onyx, would be the Onyx because. You know, that the, the way that the Onyx is laid out and it ha- kind of has that really, you know, kind of a crescendo intro on it. You could, you know, f- match that up with some beats and come in or just come in and slam. And the song is so popular that as soon as they hear that, they're going to go crazy. So it's just knowing and oh, the yeah. experience of knowing when and not to do that, you know. Um, for example, you, you, I love the term baby making music. So coming out of a slow song. You're, you're probably just, you know, if you're just like, boom, then you've kind of already played yourself out on that song, you know, because you always, right. we mm-hmm. talked about in episode number two about, you know, you can break a song on a particular night. It's knowing when and how to play it, which is, I think, my biggest takeaway from what you're talking about there. So then, you know, with the Kelly thing and, and the Eastside Annex slowly starting to creep up, you know, it takes a while sometimes to build a club, but we started to see more numbers coming in. And once again, I'm still making my $75 a night. And are you at $5 an hour? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, since I don't have a camera, but Kelly, when I eventually started getting paid, um, he would <laughs> this is so stupid he um he asked for my you know what what he thought I should get paid and at the time again I was having two jobs and I wasn't looking to break break the bank on him but I wanted to be compensated for my time there and I think I said five dollars an hour and if you put your two index fingers together and your two thumbs together it's gonna come out like a uh, triangle and he would that that was his famous um he would do this a lot when he was thinking and put his fingers up against his lips and he looked he looked at me was tapping back and forth and finally he reaches out his right arm and says brian let me ask you this what makes you think you're worth five dollars an hour I'm like you're kidding me right $5 an hour. If I'm here for six hours, that's 30 bucks. You know how many people are in this club now and you're, you can't pay me five bucks an hour. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that we have such a camaraderie when it comes to that, because you know, the story of it was the same thing is that, you know, I gave the description of the DJ booth being elevated. And, and there's one thing about clubs and the way they're designed. Sometimes it's different if the DJ's on the floor, then it's, man, it's, I, it's, it's, I'm old school, so it's hard for me to be right on the floor because it's so loud. But, you know, you're up in a perch and you're doing your thing. And for some reason, it's always like the kitchen is in a household. It's the gathering point. So I'm coming in one night, right. and this is the exact same story that you just told. And at the Eastside Annex, there was, um, at this point in time, and it, you, it might have been right, you know, when you were, and we'll get into that when you uh, decided to join the Navy. Um, but I came in there, and there's a big, you know, group of people in the DJ booth, and Kelly's in there, and it's the security guards. And at that point in time, you know, when you got 400 to 500 kids in the club, the security guard's a pretty important job because things get out of hand. You mm-hmm. want it to be handled immediately. And 
you know, of course, I'm overhearing a conversation between one of the bodyguards and Kelly, and uh, the bodyguards are going, you know, Kelly, I'm, I'm just not making it on this $5 an hour. Um, I'm only working four, <laughs> four hours a weekend, you know, four hours both nights. I, I, I'm going to need a pay raise. And, and Kelly does the same thing. Fingers go up to the mouth, looks down. Well, let me ask you this. What makes you think you're worth $5 an hour? And I could just see that, you know, you mentioned that he told the story. It just had the kid. I just felt like, come on, dude, say something, bring it out, you know, do it, you know, face off with him. But he just had no response. It was a tactic, you know, and he downed him. I felt so bad for the kid. But then again, I had to play at nine o'clock and or it was 10 o'clock to two yep. o'clock, I think. So I had to gear up. <laughs> Take one for the team, guy. <laughs> so, so then with, with the format and, um, you know, we haven't really handled the crowd thing yet, but the one thing that I'll say that kind of led into the the crowd is just what was starting to happen in the music scene. And man, Doggy Style was released, Snoop Dogg, and mm-hmm. things just started really happening with the G-Funk and the hip hop was really strong. And man, any Snoop song was going on. You know, I'd mentioned Big Papa earlier notorious big was happening and there was all kinds of different hip-hop artists you know we can just start naming them off debrat you know yeah. lighter shade of brown was big dj quick rapping forte crisscross you know you can just start there's so many songs and you know a little bit of teaser stay tuned at the end of the podcast because i'm gonna play about a 13 minute mega mix of some east side annex but there's just too many songs to choose from but you know the G funk thing. So, in you know from your perspective, when did you really start to see the club take off? Because it's a blur to me, to be honest. It was you, <laughs> to be to be blunt, when you got go when you got there, in part because you were on top of it. You were playing songs before kube was by then k fox and k nate c were fizzling out but you were on top of it the way that you were playing it and they were hearing it first from you crowds just started getting out of control where because you were doing your homework and you were on top of it it's it was like you were playing the chronic before cube was or you were playing snoop before kube was um like the remix of Love No Limit. They, they weren't playing that. <laughs> you did, I mean, you would hear Lighter Shade of Brown, but back then, KUBE, we touched on this earlier, that they were so predictable. You were one of the few people that you didn't have to play Jean A, you know, and because it was on the radio all the time. And <laughs> Good God, when real motherfucking G's came out. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to head into that segment. So, uh, Yeah, and obviously KUBE can't play that, but you could, and you got away with it, and every time you played it, everybody just dropped their Snapple and went to the dance floor. <laughs> I like that, drop that Snapple. Yeah, you know, we're going to build into that, the Easy e and the real motherfucking G's, you know, rest in peace, Easy. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this the Snoop Dogg thing, and when, when you mentioned that, what took me back about 
uh, the penthouse lounge is that I was thinking, man, we were really hitting ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Right. And then it was when I got to the annex between that period of time, it was let me ride was really hitting. And I played let me ride a lot at the East side annex, but man, anything from Snoop and I'm going to go into a Snoop mega mix here. But before I do, if you are listening to this podcast and you have kids in the car, uh, I think parental advisory is uh, needs to be respected here. So let's get into some Snoop Dogg, the doggy style album. You're back now at the Jack Off Hour. This is DJ Easy Dick. On the balls, right now, something new by Snoop Doggy Dog. And this one goes out to the ladies from all the guys. A big bow wow wow. Because we're going to make it a little mystery here tonight. This is DJ Easy Dick on the station that slaps you across your fat ass with a fat dick. When I met you last night, baby. Right now we got some new Snoop Doggy Dog for that ass. This one is called the Shiznit. in the coop, the Lexus, flexes from Long Beach to Texas, sexist hoes, they wanna get what this Snoop Dogg is the shit, biatch. With so much drama in the LBC, it's kinda hard being a Snoop Dogg double G, but I... Somehow, some way, keep coming up with funky ass yeah, shit like every single day. Laid back. Now, back. I got me some sequins jeans. Everybody got their cups, but they ain't chipped in. Now, this type of shit happens all the time. You gotta get yours, but fool, I gotta get mine Everything is fine when you're listening to the D.O.G. I got the cultivating music that be captivating me We'd like to welcome y'all to the fabulous Carolina West I own this motherfucker, I, my name is Tata Y'all niggas know who I am, y'all niggas tan up shit But we got something old and something new for y'all tonight Put your hand together for Snoop Dogg and Dog, the Dog Pound And the fabulous Dramatics it's like everywhere I look and everywhere I go I'm hearing motherfuckers trying to steal my flow But it ain't no thing Cause see my nigga Coolio put me up on the game When I step through the door You know Rolling down the street, smoking Nendo, sipping on gin and juice, biatch. With my mind on my money and my money on my mind. That was the dog pound here, right on W Balls 187.4 on your FM dial. Got bitches in the living room getting it on, and they ain't leaving till six in the six morning. In the six morning. in the so morning. So what you wanna do, Nelly? 
You so crazy. Uh, you could probably see why I had to put the parental advisory warning on that sticker, huh? Right from the get-go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the jack-off hour. <laughs> I didn't have time to push move. <laughs> yeah, you know, I ain't no fun. That was probably one of the biggest cuts at the east side. You know, we're going to get into the anthem, which is Mr. Grim Indo Smoke, mm-hmm. to stay tuned for the G-Funk mm-hmm. era. Not to mention just a shout out to the great Nate Dog who appeared on so many of those G-Funk records, you know. But yeah, ain't no fun. And, right. you know, I spared the audience the actual rap verses in there. But I got a little lazy in there with a couple <laughs> slams. But, you know, it was just a mega mix to put together for the East Side. But that just goes to show you how big Snoop Dogg was. I mean, any song that I played. And then to go back into the history of Snoop Dogg and Dre is that, Snoop Dogg first showed up on a deep cover single, which actually was played at the East Side, you know, not on a regular, but was played. That's how that's how underground hip hop the crowd was there. You know, they would they would dance to that. They would dig it like, oh, man, he's playing deep cover. Check it out. Um, that's the, one of the first songs that Snoop um, did with Dre. And it it, it 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 ended up being on the soundtrack of that movie. And then, you know, Snoop teamed up with with Dre and Death Row Records and Suge Knight that's, you know, now serving a prison Shug. sentence, you know, so you kind of had that whole thing going on <laughs> and the East Coast, West Coast. And, you know, t- so, t- you know, it's we don't have to go too far deep into that. But so Easy e which was a former member of NWA with Ice Cube and, you know, Dr. Dre and, and the other two members, is that they got into a beef because Easy E owned Ruthless Records. And there's the connection, Ruthless, right? We got Ruthless Fisheries. Uh-huh. We got Ruthless in the football pool. <laughs> She's holding it down here in Arizona. And um, so you had the, the fight between Ruthless Records and then Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And, you know, that it was... It was a pretty heated thing. So that's what led into the rap battle, and that's what led into the cut that you were talking about, you know, real motherfucking G's, to where Easy's kind of going at Dr. Dre, because in the first cut that they came out with was Dre Day. Um, I've also prepared a little mega mix for it, so you can kind of see some key points. So since we're on a roll, let's just fire that off right now. Parental advisory. Explicit content. Paris, drop it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Top of the doctor to check your ass. Top of the doctor to check your ass. Check your ass. Bow, wow, wow. Yippee, yo, yippee, yay. Doggy dog in the motherfucking house. Motherfuck Dre, motherfuck Snoop, motherfuck 
Now you might not understand me Cause I'm a Robbie and Compton and blast you with Miami Then we gon' creep to South Central on a street knowledge mission As I steps in the temple, spotty got him As I pulls out my strap, got my chrome to the side of his white socks You tryna check my homie, you best check yourself Cause when you diss Drake, you diss yourself Motherfucker Damn me, they tried to fade you on Drake Day But Drake Day only met Easy Day Day All of a sudden, Dr. Dre is the G-Thang But on his old album covers, he was a G-Thang Kill me, knowing that they pranksters This is going out to your studio gangsters Knockout, definition original, baby gangster I punch me like you hard, motherfucker I'm a banker, shank ya with my fucking shank If I have to, Dr. Dre is Snoop Dogg These dogs are fucking actors, pranksters I gotta say, Easy was bringing it, man. It's hard. If you're not familiar with that battle, the, the reason why he's saying that the re- the same records that you're dissing me is the ones you're paying me on is because he was signed to Ruthless Records, and when he went to death row, you know anything he was making, he, they still had to give some money to Easy. So that's you know, but calling him a studio gangster, that was the best, man. And you, you know, you being a, you know, down in San Diego, you know how big the rap scene is in LA mm-hmm. and was working for a retail chain up and down the West Coast. And I would spend some times in California and I met a young lady named Asia down in Los Angeles. And, you know, we were just hanging out one time. She just broke out with the lyrics from EZ. Well, it's a knockout definition, original baby gangsta. Approach me like you hard motherfucker. I'm a bank ya, shank ya. <laughs> I was dying, dude. I mean, just that she knew every verse and it just goes to show you just like, you know, in Seattle with Posse on Broadway, just how big an influence that the local artists can have on their community. So getting back to the east side, what was happening when those songs were being played in the club? Because I, I, you definitely would have a different perspective from being down on the floor and I was up top, you know. People would literally stop what they're doing and get on the floor what if they could, because at when you started that playing those songs, the the songs that that you can't play on uh, on the radio, there the you wanted to go out and dance, but up towards at least the end of my time there, and we'll get into that later. But there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of room to dance because the crowds were so big. I mean, the, the, from from what you brought um, by playing these. Um, it was jammed packed. It was literally jammed packed. And I knew I could, all right, I've got time to restock the Snapple because nobody's going to be buying anything because they're on the dance floor. And it wasn't like that before. So by playing this, you know, the crowd got I easily doubled, easily. And I don't know the numbers. <laughs> Kelly wouldn't share the numbers. But <laughs> people just would literally dance for hours or at least be on the on the dance floor with their friends or boyfriend girlfriend what have you but more people were on the dance floor you know kids uh, you know 15 16 17 18 um they like to be in cliques whether they're boyfriend girlfriend or their friends so even if they were just on the dance floor that was enough for them but they were on the dance floor they weren't on the sidelines bsing or taking a break they were on the dance floor it was cool it was really cool 
Yeah, one of my favorite quotes was when I was working on the Mullets to Mayhem, which is a funny story. You know, re, re, you know, just referring to the Nest Pod as the first one was done with Terry Hildebrand and Mark Cotto, but I and Terry Hildebrand has you know ties to you know once again Seattle local Alice in Change and Sado the band and. We did a funny documentary, but I was down in San Diego and I was interviewing you with the camera and you were talking about the, you know, the growth of uh, the East Side Annex. And, and what cracked me up is you said, and you were still making $75 a night and I was still holding it down at $5 an hour. <laughs> I mean, how long did we go on <laughs> making that amount? I mean, finally, I just had to say, hey, Kelly, this was going to be a temporary thing. So I'm renegotiating or I'm out. I wish I did that. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, I, at least I had a viable contract and I would get a piece of the door, but you know, it's, 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 so if I had a good night, you know, I could pull down 500, which was good for a DJ situation with a residency, you know, but you know, now you hear stories. Good now. now you hear stories of DJs just banking big time, you know, got in that, got in at the wrong time, my man, but I was into it for the passion of music. The love of music. There you go. There you go. Not for 75 bucks a night. <laughs> I don't know how you could survive off of 75 a night now, but. <laughs> got to put food on the table, Nels. <laughs> well, you know, Nels, sometimes you just got to put food on the table. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about just kind of the flow of the Eastside Annex and people dancing for hours. And when you're, one thing about being a DJ, you're reading the crowd and, you know, you mentioned baby making music and um you know we talked we talked about this prior to doing this podcast just but the big thing about R Kelly and how R Kelly was you know and it kind of makes you cringe thinking about that now you know but 12 play just like the Snoop Dogg album was just phenomenally huge you know any cut oh, you could play off God. that and I was playing so many slow jams and uh that's one thing that I I talk I touch base with mark about this is i really miss the answering machine concept because you would be out for the day and like you mentioned we didn't have cell phones with us so when you got home you'd uh, have uh, messages on your machine that you'd go through you probably left one of the most infamous messages on my machine which was a country version of r kelly's bump and grind so do you want to hear a little preview of that song before you rip into that <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> My mind's telling me no. But my body, my body's telling me yes. Baby, I don't want to hurt nobody. But there is something that I must confess. So you can imagine me, you know, being out. Maybe I'm down in the Capitol Hill district buying some new records, you know. I've had a long day. I'm coming to the household. I hit play, you know, hit to play the messages on my answering machine. And who is on my answering machine? But the the one and only Babu leaving me this message. I don't see nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. 
that came from some comedian I saw, and <laughs> I literally almost peed my pants about, hey, can you imagine this R. Kelly guy doing country? He's got a beautiful voice, man, but he talks about the stupidest stuff. <laughs> he just started going, I don't see nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. <laughs> oh, my goodness. By far one of my favorite messages. But I got to tell you, I really do miss the answering machine concept. You know, it's just you I would come home and I would just and I've been known to leave some messages myself. But I do miss that aspect. Oh, yeah. You know, people are funny now. It's, uh, you just don't get the classic messages that you used to. Oh, no. Yeah. Every now everybody's either texting or, oh, my God, let me post this on somebody. Oh, hashtag, post it, <laughs> yeah. tweet it. Nobody calls people anymore, so that's a little disappointing. It's another good point. It's usually done on the socials, you know. And I, I, you know, right, I, yeah. I often wonder what it would be like, you know, working at like the East Side or the Penthouse Lounge, City East. What it would have been like during the social media times, and you know, would it have been easier to build crowds up? You know, would Kelly Farnsworth be posting videos, rolling the dice, and getting on the mic? Whoa. Welcome to the East Side Annex. Do you, do you want to touch on the video games being for free? <laughs> well, as you mentioned earlier, um, Kelly really was good at being an MC slash hype slash showman. He he was very comfortable with the uh, with a microphone in his hand, and he was very good at speaking in public, which a lot of people it's a fear for a lot of people. Well. In between songs, and he would communicate with you on, hey, I'm going to jump on the mic. And he, he would do it once or twice a night, you know, to, just to say, hey, everybody, thank you for coming, blah, 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 blah. Well, <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the games, we had several um, arcade games inside this VFW. Well, I don't know the reason for it, but they, but they were free. Well... One night he decided to bring them out. Uh, I think they were stored in the kitchen, like the turntables. And <laughs> he made such a big deal out of these video games being free. And he literally got on the mic and said, and hey, everybody, don't forget to uh, buy your drinks, Snapples, Coke, whatever. And video games are now free. <laughs> Something <laughs> along those lines. And he was so proud of that for whatever reason that... Kids were there to dance, and, you know, we were talking about it earlier when the crowds were really big. People weren't playing video games. They were on the dance floor. Yeah, I know that that cracked us up, and we've never let it go. We're, we're, we continually say it <laughs> we to won't, each other. Ever. <laughs> yeah, we won't let it go, ever. <laughs> we got to find him. Before I left, um, he opened up, what was it, a coffee bar? Yeah. A coffee shop. I forget the name of it, but when we asked him, what, how'd you come up with this name? And he had spare signs, <laughs> um, like big business signs, and he didn't want to buy new ones. So from what he had, he was able to come up with some name from those old signs, and he used that. And it had absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with coffee or food or 
restaurant dining. It's just what he had in the garage or something. That's a classic Kelly Farnsworth. <laughs> I, you know, I'm hoping we can track Kelly down because I'd really like to hear some of his stories. He's, you know he's got some good ones. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, man, you know, speaking of the annex and, you know, you were talking about how the crowds, you know, being a full crowd, and I go back to that period of time. You know, I have a couple more songs that I pulled and one of them is um, Black Sheep and The Choice is Yours. And it mm-hmm. when I was talking to Mark and I was telling a story that there's certain point in times of the night and, you know, we touched it on with that Easy E thing, which we kind of, you know, glossed over because there was an incident at the East Side Annex where, you know, Kelly, just like the Onyx, he was getting a little bit worried about, you know, real motherfucking G's and the Dre day. And, you know, and, and he saw that the crowd was building really high, but you know, he, he, in, in Kelly's defense, you know, he wanted just to make sure that the club kept going and, you know, he kept getting the kids and it was a safe, good crowd, but it was not that it was getting violent, but it was just the, the rap thing that was going on. And at, and what mm-hmm. the problem that we were having is that, and you touched on it, is that there was too many people inside the club. So he was on the verge of, putting too many people and, you know, breaking the fire code limit, right? And mm-hmm. there was one mm-hmm. point in time where I don't if you remember this where it might you might have been you might have been gone at this point in time, but it was me and Eric, little E was in the DJ booth and Kelly comes up and he's like, Oh, the fire department's here and we've got too many people inside the club. And uh me and Eric are standing there and it's like, well, you know, hey, we're at limit. We're at capacity. And uh Kelly's looking at us because this is going to give you a description of, you know, give you a good insight into his mind, his psychology. And he looks at me and Eric and he goes, well, can you two leave and then I can get two more people in? And I look at him, I say, well, Kelly, who's, (laughs) yeah, who's going to play the music? And he just had this blank stare on his face. Like, like he couldn't fathom like you what you should be concerned about right now is nothing happens or you don't get a citation from the fire department not if you can get two more people in at seven dollars a piece which is fourteen (laughs) dollars that's how his mind worked you know so there was a point in time when it it, i don't think it was the fire department uh it was the renton police department who came in and whether it was too crowded or what was going on or whether they you know they're it who who was the lady? What was Anita Bryant that was fighting the rap thing? It's like they just decided to come mm-hmm. in and shut the music down. And I'll never forget that. I was just, you know, here I am, you know, teen club DJ playing and the Redmond police officer walks in and just shuts my mixer down. Like, well, where do I go from here? Is the night over? I think I might have had to pack yeah. it up that night and I was done. Um, so that's where the format concerns. But But, you know, on an uplifting note, you know, there was certain songs and, you know, the rap music and we talked about the G-Funk that was happening. But man, Black Sheep, um, and they they were just coming in big and it was, I think, flavor in your ear. And then when the Choices Years mm-hmm. came out, man, it was, that was, a, that was a song that was blowing up the spot at the east side. Had a little sudden change sample in there. Oh yeah. Come on. Who's the black sheep? What's the black sheep? No, not who I am or when I'm coming so you sleep. Wasn't in my room or wasn't in your sphere. Knew not who I was but less than here. Press P-O-E-S. Yes, I guess I can start. If it's alright with you, I'll rip 
now Engine, engine number nine On the New York transit line If my train goes off the track Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up Back Come on. on the scene, crispy and clean You Come can on. try, but then why? Cause you can't intervene We be the outcast, down for the settle Won't play rock, won't play the pebble Open the door, you best to believe We're sliding through it swiftly Come on, Man, you know, just that engine, engine, number nine. Those are thoughts that are just ingrained in my brain because you just, you, you'd see the, the floor start to shake, you know, and they'd start jumping up. It was, mm -hmm. it was such a cool DJ experience, you know. Kids would be jumping up, going crazy. And that, that's, that's kind of like the adrenaline of being a DJ and, you know, when you're having a good night. Yeah, one of the things about DJing is you know how you're doing. All you have to do is just look down. And when that song, particularly that song, came on, again, people would just flock to the dance floor. Yeah, it was it was blowing up. It was that, and it, it also, you know, you go back and you know, not I I understand the thing how generations get hooked into their music, you know, but it really makes me think how talented an MC and writer that dress was of Black Sheep. I meant his flow and style, and he was just killing it, man. He really was. Yeah, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, and then it's kind of weird to see, you know. Then, you know, other artists, you know, uh, like Outkast came out and I was playing Players Ball and Southern Playlistic Cadillac music. And then all of a sudden they went on and just blew up and won multiple Grammys. I'm telling you, it's, that's, that's the tales of the East Side. And then, um, you know, with the Snoop thing and you were getting into DJing and you bought some records and you actually gave me a 12-inch single of, um, which was a Snoop Dogg Megamix. And man, it was about 20 minutes long. And there was every once in a while when I'd pull that record out and just put it on and let it play and it'd be like a 20 minute break. But they were, he was so big that it, you know, and it was a great mix. And I actually pulled an Ice Cube record because um, it gets back into the thing that we were talking about with the structure of music. People would understand when you're talking about playing one song and keeping it going together. You might've given me that remix too and the reason i pulled it just because i really like it because it has a piano overdub on the original track and it was just well produced and i just love the flow of it and it's another one that reminds me of the east side but it has a really good intro which i shortened and then it has and i cut the song snipped it together and then it has a really cool break and then it goes out so let's let's kind of we're going to go out with the east side with some ice cube You know how we do it at the east side. Oh, yeah. Somebody put on me deep, we'll turn 
we're not your party It gets no love and I thought you knew it Fool, you know how we do it you go look at that dj break right there i could be coming in with lighter shade of brown right now maybe coming in with sean a dude just to change it up a bit <laughs> but we're gonna let this roll Breaking down the beats with DJ Paris D. Just for you. Now that sounded good. Man, did that piano overlay not sound great? It's awesome. Awesome. Okay, here's here's a new segment. Here's a new segment for the podcast. It's going to be a lyric breakdown with PD. Going back to that Ice Cube lyric. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't get any better than that, does it? Nope. I'm ready. Okay, here we go. With more bounce to the ounce in the dash, mashup, Venice, headed for the west, everything is great. Slow down for the dip on 108th and keep mashing. Don't drink and drive to keep the foe from crashing. Okay, so he's got Roger and Zap, more bounce to the ounce, playing in his cassette deck in his car. He's mashing up, he's still driving, he's going through Venice. He's heading west, probably over to Crenshaw. Everything is great, but he's got to slow down for the dip on 108th because he's driving a lowrider. If you hit that dip, you're going to smash your suspension and keep mashing. Just keep rolling. Don't drink and drive because you don't want to keep, you don't want to wreck your car. And when he says, keep the foe from crashing, that's a 64 Impala. <laughs> there you go. Breakdown with PD. You know, another story about Asia, dude, is that she was from LA and she, you know, she grew up in the neighborhood around Ice Cube and she took me to that actual intersection, what he's talking about when he says, slow down for the, the dip on 108th, that's an actual dip in a road. Like, you know, like you see in Arizona for the rain, you know, swallows is that they have to build it. And it was a dip that would smash your car. Just a little trivia that you get listening to the Nest Pod. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> okay, so, you know, I think, you know, wrapping up this the, the tales of the east side, you know, the only thing that we didn't touch on, and I'd love to get your perspective is what and i know that right at the end it got a little bit stronger when you decided you're gonna you know enroll in the service and serve this great country of ours so 
the breakdancing contest at one o'clock, what memories do you have of that episode? Just the amount of people that would show up around 1230 at night. I mean, it was, it was already busy, but the amount of people to, to come and watch this and, and participate in it, it, it was, it was just cool. Um, it's like they, from nine to 11 or 12, they were just, I doubt if they were stretching, but warming <laughs> up and then just getting pumped, pumped for it. And it was, it was really cool and people really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, that's a good point that you said about that, about the, you know, preparing for it, because now that you say that it kind of takes me back to that, that time period. And I can remember that it would be marked by the slow songs. So, you know, there'd be the, yeah. the big set that was happening from, you know, say, you know, 1130 to 1230 and 1230 is starting to weigh down a little bit. And then boom, the two slow cuts go in and then coming out of the slow cuts was just a breakdance. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, it was feeling the crowd. They were sometimes I would play breakdancing music pretty much till the end of the night you know, depending how much the battle, yeah. but it was usually about 10 or 15 minutes. And then once it, you know, subsided, then it would be, you know, let's hit them hard with one more song or from a DJ perspective, let's slow it down. So it's ever, whatever you're feeling, you know, do you want to try to hit them or you right. can kind of sense when the crowd is like, okay, they're spent, they're done, you know, just like an athlete, they're done. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing your audience. So moving then deciding to join the Navy and, you know, calms up, calms up, soldier. Yeah, my, Wendy's really good friend in the, uh, he was a senior at Edmonds and we were freshmen. And Wendy had a, a good friend and then I became friends with him. And after high school, he joined the Navy. And he would send us postcards from all of his stops along the way. And the one that caught my eye and the, was the Philippines. And a brief, back, a, brief, a brief background was my girlfriend in high school is Filipino. And her family was from the Subic Bay, Alangapo area. And that's where U.S. Navy ships at the time would go into. And he would tell us stories about the Philippines in general. And then with my ex-girlfriend being from this area. And then, oh, by the way, on top of that, my friend Greg, who we spoke about uh, earlier in the podcast, is half Filipino. And I would go to his dad's side, his dad's uh, full-blooded Filipino, and we would go down to Beacon Hill and um, spend time with his family. And there was something about the Philippines at the time that interests me. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm joining the Navy. Or I wanted to join the Navy. Um, that was my sophomore year. And then my junior year, my senior year. Well, when it came time after, um, I wasn't ready yet mentally to join and then M wendy got married and he and i were going to join at the same time back in 91 well at the time i was still with my girlfriend i had a good thing going on at mickey d's i had worked my way up to uh manager 
I was a supervisor on the fast track program at UPS. And I was like, this, nah, I don't want to do it. Well, he, he joined, um, and Greg had joined also in 91 before. And they were, you know, when I, when they got back from deployment, they would tell me the stories, you know, Hey, we went to Hong Kong. We went to Singapore, went to the Gulf. We went to Australia and that was awesome. And I'm like, I'm in, I am in, I just need to find out when, well, it came time. I got promoted at UPS, um, to the fast track program. And in order to be the fast track program was at least back then, was you had to drive for six weeks before you could become full-time management. And after I got done driving, um, they put me in preload, and I absolutely hated it. it. I hated it, and that was my reason to get out. Mm. So um, gave him my two-week gave him my two-week notice. Um, Wendy and her husband at the time, the same guy that I was supposed to join with back in '91, and now it's '94. Um, he finished up his schooling and got stationed to San Diego. Well, once he got done with his schooling, I came down to visit in March of 94. And I fell in, dude, it was like, I don't know, 75, 80 degrees down here at the time while I'm freezing up in (laughs) Seattle. And there's beautiful women and it's gorgeous down here. And I'm like, peace out, Seattle, I'm done. So i Gave him two weeks and moved down to San Diego. Well, I I told myself I wanted to give myself a year to um, to prep for it. That's a, I've always been big, but I wanted to, you know, boot camp. I'm going to be felt. I'm going to run five miles a day. I'm going <laughs> to train with Wendy's ex because he was, he was an, at the time, he was an AW SAR swimmer, um, AW anti-air warfare. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was training with him, preps to go into boot camp. Well, he was had gotten accepted to be to go to Buds, which is the SEAL training. And so Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays we would run the Strand on Coronado, and Tuesdays and Thursdays we would run the beach. Um, at the time, you could where Buds is located. It's on the beach on Coronado, and you could run on the beach. And there was no gate or anything that prevented you from walking up to butt. Not that we did, but that was his motivation, and I was keeping up with him. So finally, on my birthday of 95, I'm like, let's go. Um, so I joined the Navy on my birthday in 95 and left for boot camp um, a couple months later. Wow. And you left the east side for this. That, that was the hard part, Now That was the hard part, was leaving the east side end. Shortly after that, how, how, what do you think it was maybe three to six months is when I got the call that there'd been a laser that got stolen and they thought that I was you know, technically <laughs> accused of stealing the laser. <laughs> so that, that's, when the, oh my God. <laughs> that's when the tales of the east side came to an end, my friend. But so back to the, the, your Navy uh, career, um, so you ended up serving on the Cowpens, which is a battleship, and they call it the Thundering Herd. Got great memories of the Cowpens. Home of the Mighty Moo, my friend. Home of the Mighty Moo. Yeah, it was, I, I do. And the the deployment part was, it wasn't tough 
physically, it's tough mentally. And for those that have not done a deployment, it's the first couple of day, days are trying to figure out your routine. And my first deployment, since I was so uh, young, well, I wasn't young, but I was the newbie, one of the newbies on the, uh, on the ship, was we had to do um, what's called port and starboard, and right and left. It's 12 on, 12 off. I'm thinking, well, okay, well, that's easy. I can sleep for eight hours, no problem. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. It's five on, five off, seven on, seven off. Mm. And if you get, if, and that, that includes sleeping, eating, showering, and heaven forbid we have to do an unrep, which is underway replenishment where we're getting gas or we have a, we're getting supplies and it's an all hands working party. All hands means everybody. Then if it's on your sleep time, yeah, sorry. So those, those times were rough. And what people, a lot of people don't realize is that yes, Hong Kong's cool. Yeah. uh, Singapore's cool or yeah, Thailand's cool. But so if you go to five different port visits, let's say and you're only there for on average of four days per port visit, five times four is 20. Well, if you're gone for six months, let's just say 180 days, where's the other 160 days spent? Out at sea. Mm. Wearing the same thing, talking to the same people. You know, after a while, you just, you build relationships and you have lifelong friends, but at, at some point you just have nothing to talk about and is that what it was for you where you, that you know you were 13 years deep and you just decided okay that's enough for it. so rather than go for 20 you just said i'd rather move on because it, it you'd burned out right yep yeah by the time um what what started the ball rolling for me to thinking about getting out was i was um what's called the tray soup or the training supervisor and it's essentially running um, electronic scenarios in for to, to do battles in combat, or CIC, Combat Information Center. And I already had orders to come back to San Diego. And they, they being the cowpens, the Navy, made me do a six-month stint in Japan where we were doing a home port crew swap. So home port crew swap is that you, the ships and the crews from one ship get on the other ship and then go back. Well, I had to stay and I didn't take it. I, I didn't appreciate it at the time because I already had orders. Instead, I had a bad attitude, which I generally don't have most of the time, but um, that put a bit a bitter pill in my mouth. And I didn't like, I didn't take advantage of Japan. And that's one of my, regrets until towards the end and I got I did climb Mount Fuji and that was wonderful but I didn't I didn't do a lot in Japan I didn't soak up the culture or the experience and um but when I got my orders to uh San Diego it was teaching um the C2 software C2 being uh, command and control well I got one I got lazy and then two when it came time to pick orders again after the four years of shore duty, I, I knew I had to go back out to sea. And even though I was up for chief after 
I made first in five, five and a half years. So uh, chief being an E7, I knew that um, I did not want to go back out to sea. So my senior chief at the time, he said, hey, I got a job proposal for you. He had already retired two years before I got out. And he asked me if I would like to keep teaching uh, what I'm teaching now, but instead to Navy folks, I would be doing it for the Taiwan military. And, oh, you would be going to Taiwan, but not on a ship. You'd be flying business class mm-hmm. and staying at a five-star <laughs> hotel. So I'm like, um, let me think about that. Yes, <laughs> so that's, I will do that. So that's what moved you into your new career path, right? Yeah. So, Brian, the fingers are going up to the mouth. Let me ask you this. <laughs> what makes you think you were qualified to serve on the cow pens? <laughs> <laughs> they they put you through a they put you through a lot of schooling to 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 do what I do and um I don't have any bad memories of it I have things that I wish I had done differently but it I, I learned a lot um that the military especially the cowpens in general just from their uh their leadership there they took really good care of me and they I wouldn't have been able to see things that if I wasn't with those people or on the cow pen. So overall, um, I have zero regrets. There's sometimes I wish I would have stayed in longer mm-hmm. just for benefits some of, the wise. Ben- some of the benefits. Yeah. But other than that, I have, I, I, I really look back at on the cow pens and I still talk to about five people that were on the ship with me during that time. And gosh, I left the cow pens now. When did I leave? Uh, 2000, December of 2000, so yeah. 21 years ago. And it was a gateway. And a I mean, it did it did lead you into a technical area, and you do work in a you know a technical computer slash IT capacity job now, right? Yeah, yeah. I went from training slash teaching it to now I'm more a more technical sysadmin type stuff. So I've learned a lot from it. Um, I still generally enjoy what I do. Uh, I still go to Taiwan to this day. I just got back uh, back in June from a six-week stint. Sorry about that, guy. I had to put you on mute for a second. Calms down. Calms down. Are we back up, soldier? We're back up, guy. We're back up. <laughs> Power of the mute button. What did you say before that? You want to give a shout-out to Serena? Hello, Selena. I hope you're doing well. I hope your family's doing well. I love you, and I hope to see you soon. Nice. Okay, segueing into a new segment, which was inspired by the last episode with DJ Saikato, Mark Cotto. It's one of those things. We, we, Me and you do it, too. We're always going back and forth on what's the new music that we're listening to. So I have a new song that I'm going to unveil on this episode, and it's going to give you about a minute 30. Think about the new music that you're listening to. What you listening to? I want to know. Hey, mister. What you listening to? LP, 12-inch, cassette, 8-track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dig 
the cuts, 12-inch LP on cassette. Tell me the music that you're into. I want to know. Is it rock, R&B, funk, disco, or is it pop? Tell me, I wanna know. How do you feel? Hey, mister, what you listening to? As the great Roxy Reach just put it, Brian, what are you listening to? Nowadays, I'm into uh, an artist named Alice Russell. I really like that song called Citizens. Um, I like The Weeknd, um, a lot of Bruno Mars' stuff I, I listen to. Um, even though he's a whack job, and he's, I, I think Chris Brown has good music. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great performer. Um, yeah, but most of the time, I'm still listening to stuff from the 80s and 90s. You know, I've got a select pod, uh, podcast um, playlist for when I bike ride or when I mm-hmm. golf. Um, a lot of that is is old rock, some R&B on there as well. But uh, I, I don't follow new music as much as I used to anymore. Mm-hmm. Um 80s and 90s does it for me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the touching base with the last episode as well, I just think there's a lot to be said for there's really something that's therapeutic in going back and listening to some old cuts. And I think there's some research on that too as well as that when you identify and some music makes you feel a certain way, it's almost positive energy, you know, positive positive eons hitting your system. So I pulled the Alice Russell cut for you. Um, just to, so that the listeners can hear what you're into. Okay.
see, I, I, you know, that's what I love about asking that question is that I've never heard of Alice Russell before, so that was a new find. So that's kind of like the thing with me and Mark and you and, you know, my other friends. We always go through that whole factor of, what are you listening to, man? What's the latest cut that you're on to? And you always come up with something new. And uh, it's funny, you know, that Alice Russell is the lyrics in there. I could be you, you. And you, you, you could be me, me, is that I pulled a song that I've been listening to. It's a kind of very neo soul um, by an artist named Green T. Ping. And when you, when you, you know, hit me to that song, this is the song that I thought about. Searching for balance, praying for clarity. March strip me naked, take this identity. Tell me it's unity. In Lakesha, Lakin, I am you, you are me. Searching for balance, praying for clarity. March strip me naked, take this identity. Tell me it's unity. In Lakesha, Lakin, I am you, you are me. We're close, I like to hide So no one knows what I made from Deep in my soul Taken from home so far we strode Deep in these roads Think we control this shit we don't But fuck we could I wish we would throw away these phones Get a bit more holy See the world more slowly Take test my roses Searching for balance Praying for clarity Mars strip me naked Take this identity Tell me it's unity In Lakesha, Lakin, I am you, you are me Searching for balance, praying for clarity Marsh strip me naked, take this identity Tell me it's unity In Lakesha, Lakin, I am Kind of got the same theme going on there, yeah? It does. Is that a new artist? Yeah, so her name is Green Tea Pang and... Um, She's all tatted up. Yeah, you got to check her out. She's um, She's got, like I said, very neo-soul and, um, you know, deep. I, I kind of dig the lyrics and the flow, and it just kind of really jazz, neo-soul type of feel to it. So YouTube it up, my friend. Will do. So how do you want to go out with the episode three with the tales? We covered some pretty uh, epic tales from the east side, and I have a mega mix lined up. So any last words that you want to depart with before we get into that? I've really enjoyed this. It's, um, I mean, it, it happened so long ago, The you know, well, obviously the, the teenage stuff, the growing up, thinking about uh, my families and the music. And, you know, we talk about Kelly a lot, but we really don't talk much about the actual music. You know, some of the songs that we were listening to and what you were playing and just going down memory lane and talking about some of the stupid stuff that Kelly would say and do and hearing the names of Cotto and <laughs> Lily and Fabi Joe. It's just, it's a lot of pleasant memories, my man. Yeah. It's, um, that's what, and that's kind of my takeaway from, you know, going through the podcast and I really, and thanks for coming on because I really like sharing the stories and just cause I like to get different perspectives. But man, one thing that really kind of holds true for me is I've really met some really cool people in the industry and, and with you, you know, being a lifelong friend, I mean, that's really 
probably my biggest joy that's come out of working in the nightclub business is that I have met a lot of people that I've stayed friends with for a, quite a long time. So that that's a total thumbs up for me. Well, yeah, that, and that goes without saying. Uh, your family has has welcomed me into your all of your houses. I mean, between Seattle and and Phoenix, and your mom is. I love talking the Mariners and the Seahawks <laughs> with her, and I did as well with. Uh, Jimmy. With Jimmy and that story about a about Augusta, and you know, you introduced <laughs> me to Sarah and Dean and Sean and Chelsea and your sister, and what well, I know we the COVID's kind of putting a damper on it, but um, I don't. Seattle will always be home for me, and one of the one of the reasons I go there, well, used to go there, is to see you. Um, you and there's not much up there for me now. Um, to go but yeah your friendship has meant a lot to me and same with uh i love going up there to see you and kato and go to mariner games with dean and sarah yeah that's thank you yeah you're welcome and thanks for being you and stacking up that uh seattle mariner seahawk memorabilia in your own uh, special room that you have going on (laughs) (laughs) you know that's funny you say that because a majority of that stuff is from you via dean and sarah (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. I have yeah, your st- that's, shout out to Dean and Sarah. I have your Starbucks card here, the the 2021 oh, Seahawk please. edition. That's right. <laughs> All right, a road trip. It will be delivered <laughs> soon, my friend. So one question I have is you haven't played the anthem yet. All right, well, I'm going to slide out of here. That's going to conclude the episode number three, the Tales from the East Side, featuring Brian Arrington, a.k.a. Babu, with a special East Side Annex mega mix featuring the east side anthem mr grim and endo smoke hi this is huggy boy this is going out to all the homies on a sunday afternoon you are in the mix with dj pierce d Another Nesworks digital exclusive. Flowing on the fat remix of Love No Man. Dream of fairy tales, I think of me and Shelly. See, she 
He's my type of hype and I can't stand when brothers tell me That I should quit chasing and look for something better But the smile that she shows makes me a go-getter I haven't gone as far as asking if I could get with her I just play love by ear and hope she gets the picture I'm shooting for her heart, got my finger on the trigger She can be my broad and I can be her I'm just riding side, let's take a little trip CMD and K and we fist to make a grip Coming straight from out the O so you know Deck it is the funky expedition that we call a little something to ride to Now just throw your hands in the motherfucking air And wave the motherfuckers like you just don't care, yeah I rock rough and stuff with my apple pumps Rock on with your bands, say I rock rough and stuff with my apple pumps Rock on with your bands, say I rock all with my bands, so cause it's a must It's the lady of rage still kicking up dust So um, let me loosen up my bra strap And um, let me boost her with my raw rap Cause I'ma break it down to the nitty gritty one time When it comes to the lyrics I get busy with mine About to blow the roof right off of hip hop. Getting mad when we playing is cool. Here we go. You and I, T.Y. Y'all for that, I'm down. 
Dude, you hung in there for the East Side Annex Mega Mix. Dude, that, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to put that together? Well, you know, digital workstation again and, you know, digital audio workstation. But, um, I, you know, it took me about a half a day. You know, just, I meant the hardest thing for me was just the number of songs that there is and how to represent. So, you know, I, I was thinking about that and I was talking to Mark about it too. It's just that whatever day it is, just like, you know, you mentioned about me playing live. It's just that whatever you're feeling that day just happened. You know what I mean? And I just wanted to make sure that I got the staples in there that, you know, so the Jamanda, the Mary J. Blige, you know, and then of course, Indo Smoke and then, you know, represent with the G-Funk, right? But man, there's so many other songs, Warren G and all that stuff. One that I was expecting to hear, but it, it, it was still awesome, was Kick Your Game. Oh, yeah. You know, and I do have that in the folder, you know, and I, what's funny is that, yeah, that, that was a good question and, and point that out because I was going to cover that earlier because I wanted to talk about the Newmark CD8000 and, you know, because at that point in time, you know, it was only two turntables and we were just getting into that and I, I bought that Newmark and I had it mounted above the turntables and for the specific reason of playing Kick Your Game and some other songs that weren't available yet on LP, you know. That's still, dude, that's... That's dedication to, to put that together. That's good. That was really good. Oh, thanks, man. I just kind of laughing when I was playing. I'm like, oh, man, my late 50s, and I'm still throwing down these old hip-hop cuts. <laughs> <laughs> You're an OG guy. <laughs> yeah, G-Funk era, my friend. Back at the crib, so get 
got that notes, would you like to dance? Uh, no, I'm about to go and I'll hang my coat. I've been watching you, watching me. Thank you very much. I'm good. Mm, mm, mm. Now that sounded good. Podcast segments pulled and edited by Nesworks. Brought to you by Nelcore Technologies. Technology to the T. Bringing you the content you desire, the content you need. It's a doing dollar. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Calpens, Thundering Herd, Home of the Mighty Moo, CG-63, Ticonderoga, Tomahawk Weapon System. Don't mess with us. We got comms down, sailor. Let's go. Get them up. Nellie, you so crazy. (laughs) 